0: Hello there, digital world. Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Spliced In Later. Before we proceed, I would just like to apologize for two things. One, I have a bit of a tickle of a throat. So if I lose my voice or have some weird bits where my voice goes squeaky or whatever, it is unavoidable on my end and I do apologize. And second, though I don't really apologize, is I do have a cat sitting on my lap. And the cat has claimed the lap as its throne and I will not move it. So if you hear purring, or the occasional meow, or anything like that, uh, such as this. You might even heard a little tinkle as she just tried to claw the microphone. That is little Allie. She says hello. But yeah, she uh, will be probably interrupting every now and then. So there are my apologies out of the way. And a bad move to do when you're losing your voice, but I'm sticking to my guns for today's episode which is that we are doing a top 10, and we are doing Jordan's, spliced in later's, top 10 movie musicals. Now before I jump in, and I'm going to try and jump in quicker than usual, because these episodes do tend to run long, just unpack it very briefly in the beginning. Number one, obviously with all my top 10s, my top 10s are probably going to be different than yours, I will probably list movies that you think are not good musicals, I may leave some out that you think are good. If that is the case, I apologize. But as with most things, we all have different personalities, different opinions. We're not all going to see the same point of view on every little thing. So, once again, as I've said before, if you have any disagreements or anything like that, feel please free to let me know in the comments. Make your own top ten list, however you want to do it. Just remember not to get mad or upset or cranky, because uh, life is short, and there's no need to for such a such a simple topic, such a simple concept. Our second one is that I also have not seen every movie musical in the world. I know there are a ton which are probably the best musicals of all time They just haven't got around to seeing. For instance, Singing in the Rain. I have not seen Singing in the Rain, despite trying to remind myself that I did need to watch it before this episode. So, of course, Singing in the Rain will not be on the list simply because I haven't seen it, as with many other musicals. Even something like Cats. Whether Cats is good or bad is irrelevant for this top 10 because I haven't seen it. Whether I'd see it and put it on this list, I don't know. It depends who you talk to regarding cats. But that's the second thing we're putting down. And the final bit, which is a bit new for my top tens, but does need to be said, is that I'm not a musical connoisseur. I'm not a musical genius. I don't really understand music in terms of how to read it or what are the best instruments or anything like that. Put simply, I like musicals because I like to sing I'm a terrible singer, but I'm always the one that's up front for karaoke nights. But I cannot hold a pitch to save my life. I do not sing professionally. I sing for fun, for no personal gain other than my own, which that's a sentence that doesn't really make sense. But as a result, when I list my top 10 musicals, they're not going to be listed based on the choreography or the pitch and tone or the instruments used or the professional public view of what is good music in a musical It's just going to be the musicals that I had the most fun with and that I enjoyed. So if you're listening to this list thinking, oh yeah, this is good, this is going to be a list of proper musicals, you might be disappointed. I'm sure there are a couple movies on this list that I've looked up and seen on lists of the worst musicals of all time. So, keeping that in mind, keeping all three of those things in mind, why don't we stop beating around the bush and get right into Spliced In Later's Top 10 Movie Musicals. Starting off our list at number 10 is The Blues Brothers. Now when I was making this list I gave myself a little bit of a a rule or regarding what I wanted to consider to be a musical and what I decided was movies that sing outside of performing on a stage. There are a ton of what is considered movie musicals about bands such as Bohemian Rhapsody, but During that movie, there are no moments where everybody just bursts into song without performing for a crowd, where music comes in of its natural own accord. That would not happen in real life. You would not be walking down the street and suddenly start singing Another One Bites the Dust. But if Bohemian Rhapsody had done that, I would include it on this list. Instead, that movie shows them coming up with the idea of Another One Bites the Dust, but then the song itself just plays in the background or while they're on stage They're not singing it spontaneously out in the streets. Hence why a few things probably won't make it on this list. With the Blues Brothers, I had to really define that rule because a lot of the Blues Brothers is indeed performances, but it does have its occasional moments of just bursting into song of its own accord. Most pointedly, when the Blues Brothers crew are recruiting the rest of their band from the mediocre mundane lives that they've gone into. Having said that, The Blues Brothers is my guilty pleasure pick. There were a lot of good musicals that fought for the number 10 spot. Some more proper musicals than The Blues Brothers. But when it comes down to it, I really enjoy The Blues Brothers for the music, for the blues, jazz, whatever, that Jake and Elwood Blues, played by Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, do during this film. And also the comedy, the fun, zany, spontaneous whack of a film, that this is. If you're unfamiliar with the Blues Brothers, simply put, it is a feature-length movie based on the musical characters that Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi have played, and they performed in their own band called the Blues Brothers, Jake and Elwood Blues. They are fictional characters that they have embodied. That are very, very serious about the blues. They take their singing very seriously, but they're also slackers criminals They're always in trouble with the law. They're always on the run from the law. So this movie is basically just taking that concept that has been behind their band and making it into a movie. They've just just realized that their orphanage that they grew up in is about to be closed unless they get some money. So they decide, let's get the Blues Brothers together, the band, and we'll put on a performance to raise the money to save our orphanage. But... Rather than simply just getting the band together and putting on a show to save the orphanage, they have to deal with Nazis that track them down and want to kill them. Very angry ex-girlfriends with rocket grenade launchers. Misunderstandings with cowboy bars out in the middle of nowhere. It's absolute mayhem from start to finish, completely juxtaposed with all the Blues Brothers songs that, if you were familiar with them growing up, you would love. But even just watching this movie, the song's get stuck in your head and you absolutely want to re-listen to them over and over again the moments of singing are great the performances are great what really makes this movie for me is just the escalating intensity of the situation as these guys are going to get their money to the orphanage before they run out of time to the point where the run from 500 to a 1000 cop cars the army, Nazi fascist everything, there are cars flying smashing into things, it's absolute mayhem and it's such fun to watch which is great again this is my breaking the rules a bit to put this one on here but i love the blues brothers i love the mayhem of it i love the way that dan Aykroyd and john belushi have played jake and elwood blues the songs i've got them on my spotify I listen to them over and over again it's just great turn off your brain fun and i love it and that's why the blues brothers scored its spot here on number 10 Then coming in at number 9 in a complete 180 from the Blues Brothers is a very serious musical, very depressing musical called and I don't know to this day what is the current pronunciation for it. I like to say Les Miserables, but it could be Les Mis, it could be Les Miserables, it could be The Miserables if you don't even want to say the different way of saying it. However you want to do it, I'll for this countdown just say Les Miserables. It is an intense very upsetting musical. This is not a musical you put on to jump up and down in your seat and sing along and and bounce around with your friends. This is from the moment the movie starts. It makes it clear that the reason this movie is called Les Les Miserables, however you want to say it, because everybody in this movie is miserable. Hugh Jackman plays this convicts man who has just recently decided to change his life and turn his life around to be a better person and to avoid being in prison and all of that whereas Russell Crowe plays this policeman who, despite everything, is determined to catch Hugh Jackman's character. Hugh Jackman himself is not officially not a criminal anymore, he's still on the run for technical crimes, crimes that he himself is a mix between causing himself or just getting caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, but regardless, Russell Crowe he's intent on bringing him down bringing him to justice set to the backdrop of France during the revolution against the powers the the rich the the terrible people that are basically getting the benefit of the world that these people are living in so the bourgeoisie the dispossessed however you want to say it there's a big revolution going on in the background that Eddie Redmayne as a character is involved in alongside of a whole bunch of other characters there's Anne Hathaway in here who sings probably the most upsetting Ball-worthy song I've ever heard, and then her daughter gets involved with Hugh Jackman as well, and there's a whole there's a whole lot of stuff going on here, basically against this escalating tension of the French Revolution. The songs itself are powerful. You do not sing along to them, you do not put them on in the car or at home for karaoke night for sure. But the powerful intensity that the actors put into their songs is mesmerizing. Both I did just mention Anne Hathaway, Hugh Jackman as well. The Song of the Revolution is pretty good as well. I love that one too. And look, I have to mention Russell Crowe as well in here. Yes, the man cannot sing. When he does try to sing, it's funny. But it's not as bad as I was told. It was a while before I saw this movie and people said that Russell Crowe singing was probably the worst thing in the world. I've heard worse from myself, that's for sure. And yeah, once you get over that initial shock <laughs> because it is very jarring when he just suddenly starts singing and you go, oh, oh no. He doesn't sing that often. It's mainly focused on our Hugh Jackman character. So it's, it's, it's fine. It's not something that needs to be hung up too much on. It's definitely nothing that detracted the movie for me itself. Maybe Russell Crowe's final big musical performance that he does as his character exits the story might have been a little better if someone who could actually sing had done that. But at the end of the day, I'm not here to judge. And it didn't ruin my overall love of the movie. It reminded me watching it that musicals don't have to be the same thing because I tend to watch the same sort of musicals over and over again, which is the romantic, the boppy, the pop culture stuff. So it was really nice and interesting and also depressing to get into this movie to see what a very sad, intense, thought-provoking type of musical could be. And it has resonated with me for the many years it's been since I watched it to a point where I had to put it on this list at number 9. Coming in at number 8, again, a complete 180-ish from Les Mis is this lovely little musical called Chicago. Chicago was another one that I had heard about for many years but didn't get around to seeing it until quite recently. Didn't really know what it was about. And when I did watch it, I was surprised at what it was but also pleasantly entertained by everything going on. The plot of Chicago is sort of simple, but requires you to be paying attention to the layers upon layers of what the songs are about, what people are implying. You have to make your decision about the characters that you're watching as well, whether they are good or bad characters. But our main two characters are played by Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Both are thrown in prison for supposedly murdering their spouses. One, Renee Zellweger, is implied to be framed, or maybe not so, but she's supposed to be the more innocent of the two, whereas Catherine Zeta-Jones has fully embraced what she's done. But they both realise that their popularity outside of the prison, the way the public perceives them, is what is evidently going to be their final solution. If they get hung or not, will depend on their public perception and who wins over the crowd to get them a pardon or get them released. And of course, between the two of them, is the lawyer Richard Gere, who is about as close to a moral center in the movies you could get. He also has his issues, but you could argue that he is the symbol of justice that is not being followed in the way that it should be during this movie. There are a lot of great actors in here with great musical numbers. John C. Riley has a really cool musical number. John C. Riley continues to surprise me in ways that I always think he's this incredible actor who does this incredible stuff, and then he does something else, and I go, wow, I didn't know you could do that too. And then he goes and does something like Holmes and Watson. You go, okay, John C. Riley, what are you doing there? I guess it's either he is willing to try anything or he'll do anything. He doesn't really matter. And depending on what movie you see really determines your opinion of John C. Riley as an actor. But he's great in this. As are Renee Zellweger and Captain Cedar Jones in the main lines with their songs. There's a great song in the prison where all the other ladies in the prison sing about who they've killed and why they did it, which is great. It's one of those dark comedy sort of musicals. The themes that they're exploring, murder, crime, all that, in normal life you're supposed to go, that's terrible, that's terrible. But the way these characters play it and the way it's perceived and the way the songs do it, you go, "Well, this is funny. This is is understandable. I get why they brutally killed that person and I hope they get away with it. There's a lot going on for sure. Chicago... Originally was a lot higher on this list for me. I did give it a rewatch, and I think once you know everything that happens in the movie, it does lose a little bit of its spark. But it's still just as bop twirling and everything you get out of musical, all the memorable songs, all the characters, and it is fun on a second rewatch to remember how the story goes and how every all the characters end up in their different positions. To a point where its rewatchability is a lot better than *Les Mis* in terms of emotion-wise which scored its spot just above Les Mis at number eight. Um, Number seven we move on to. I made a rule when I was making this list that as a result of musicals, I was discounting all Disney films because Disney get enough of a limelight, spotlight portrayal on this show. They've got their own top tens. We're doing a feature about them every couple of months. So adding on to the fact that, yes, Disney animated films are technically musicals, I have to discount them just so I can give other movies a chance, honestly. And to be fair, Disney musicals are musicals in the barest sense of the world. They pick five songs and they play them at very obvious spots during the movie. Most of them. There are a few Disney animated musicals that are just stupendous in the musical prospect. But it's the same sort of formula that they all follow. So there's not really, in terms of the musical department... It doesn't really elevate them across a lot of these movies as well. However, there are some animated movies outside of Disney which really do the musical formula justice. And there were two specifically that I wanted to put on this list absolutely in varying degrees of quality, which is why the second animated movie is going to be a lot higher on this list. But at number seven is Quest for Camelot. Or if you're here in Australia, it's The Magic Sword, Quest for Camelot. ...or just the magic sword... ...however you remember what the VHS copy was... ...when you were growing up. I'm surprised by how many people have actually seen it... ...but I'm also surprised by how many people haven't actually seen it... ...and I don't want to oversell it... ...because I have done that in the past... ...but I truly love this Arthurian musical's love story... ...and I think anybody who appreciates animated films... ...who appreciates the legend of King Arthur... ...and who appreciates a good animated musical would really get a lot out of this film. Basically, it takes place during the King Arthur era, where there's a young girl called Kaylee. Her father was a knight of the round table. Uh, some stuff happened to him. He's not around anymore. I bet you can wonder what happened to him. But she wants to be a knight. She wants to be part of King Arthur's court. She doesn't want to be on the farm doing what her family expects of her as a woman, especially as a woman as well. A woman can't be a knight. All of that stuff. Meanwhile... Gary Oldman voices a character called Ruba, who is a fallen knight of the round table. He comes along and he wants to steal Excalibur from King Arthur, because if he has the sword, then he can take over Camelot. During this, things go awry and the sword ends up in the forest, so both Ruba and Kaylee go off on separate journeys to try and get the sword before each other. Kaylee encounters a blind man in the forest called Garrett who is completely against the world and wants to hide away and doesn't want to get involved in any way. But of course, in a movie like this, he does get involved. And a two-headed dragon voiced by Don Rickles and Eric Idle. And the two heads can't stand each other and hate being a part of the same body and want to split apart from each other at any chance they get. Also, they can't fly or breathe fire because they're wildly insecure. It's a very simple quest story, a journey story where they've got to go after this thing and during the journey everybody evolves, obviously our main characters Kaylee and Garrett fall in love with each other, but there's great songs in here that I have loved ever since I was a kid and I've watched it and even now I still listen to them over and over again it's a very powerful romantic song between the two of them, there's a great song from the Two-Headed Dragon about how they'd love to kill each other, Gary Oldman's spoken I'm Gonna Take Over the World rhyme is spooky and delightful, and a great song I Stand Alone by Garrett, which is just great, and I've listened to it thousands and thousands and thousands of times to a point where I know all the words and no one appreciates that I know all the words because why would this song come up in regular conversation? It's fun, it's exciting, it's good songs, it's a good story, it gets overshadowed absolutely by all the other animated musicals out there with all the Disney ones that have come and gone to a point where you either specifically know about this movie and love it, or you've never heard of it before. I am absolutely biased that I put this on this list. I'm sure there are other musicals that are proper musicals that probably could deserve to be on this list, especially as high up as Quest for Camelot is. But as it is my show on my list, and it combines all of my favorite things, also throwing in the King Arthur legend, because I love the King Arthur legend, I absolutely love Quest for Camelot here at number seven. At number six, this is where we get into some fairly obvious musicals where people would be like, yeah, of course, this needs to be on here. Number six mary poppins who doesn't love mary poppins It's such a wonderful light-hearted safe and secure musical basically about a family that's in distress the banks family the dad's stressed under work the kids are neglected then along comes mary poppins the magical nanny who floats down from the sky with her umbrella in the air played by julie andrews who just gets involved with her no-nonsense but also full of nonsense shtick that she uses to raise the kids alongside the lovable Dick Van Dyke as Chimney Sweep Bert, or Artist Bert, or whatever profession he's in when the children in Mary Poppins encounter, and then all the musical songs that are combined with animation. As I've mentioned before in my Disney discussions, the experiment of combining live action with animation was something that was coming up strong in the 60s, and it works st- stupendously well here in Mary Poppins. This is one of those movies where it's very simple. There's not too much threat. The biggest threat of the movie I suppose is that George Banks might lose his job but he's never really in threat of losing his job it's more that he's in threat of putting his job so much before the kids that the kids don't get to spend time with their dad. But apart from that the moments where Mary Poppins is spending with the kids and they go off and she just sings all her songs and her magic's going on it's delightful. You watch it with a big grin on your face you can't not help but smile. It's just fun, light-hearted stuff that fills your heart with joy essentially you forget about the troubles of the world when you're watching something like mary poppins because it's just so sweet and sincere and who doesn't love dick van dyke he's great in this as bert he's constantly singing and winking at the camera and doing a little dance and i appreciate it wholeheartedly it's great if you haven't seen mary poppins i'm surprised i feel like everybody has either seen the movie or seen bits of it or are aware of it as a concept, even if you've just gone through the Simpsons version of it where they did Sherry Bobbins. But look at Mary Poppins, and if you're unsure, watch it. I know there are a few people who might not want to watch it because they don't think it's for them. If you love the action movies and the, and the dramas and things, I understand that this might seem simple. But Mary Poppins is one of the greatest movies of all time, let alone a great musical. Julie Andrews is great. Dick Van Dyke is great. It's a wonderful song. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, Spoonful of Sugar, all of that. It's a lovely, warm-hearted story about respecting each other and appreciating your life. Live it while you can. Don't focus so much on work. Always put that joy with your kids. Build that bond because you're never going to have that again when your kids grow up. All of that. There's so much stuff in here. Mary Poppins is a delight from start to finish. Number six. At number five as a biased pick from me, I think, but I'm putting in The Producers. And specifically, I'm putting in the Mel Brooks Producers that came out in 2006. I know he did an original one earlier, but I haven't seen that one. I'm sure if I watched it, I would probably like it just as much as this Producers because it is Mel Brooks directing both of them. So it's his same ludicrous Mel Brooks comedy that you've got. And if the concept is the same and the action is the same and the purpose is the same, then I feel like I would get the same out of it. But I've only seen the 2006 Producers, but I would love the 2006 Producers. So that's why it's up here on this list. The Producers is a very wonderful concept involving Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick who get together. They're looking to make money somehow. One's a con man, one is a downtrodden working class person who realise that if they're smart with the bank and the way they invest their money and they put on a play which they are guaranteed to fail to crash and burn and everyone will hate it and no one will go see it they will actually make a ton of money so they look into a bunch of scripts and they find this script called springtime for hitler written by a crazy nazi man played by will ferrell they read the script they realize yes this is awful this is terrible they hire an actress uma thurman to be in it and they eventually go about their way to putting this this terrible play on stage along the way obviously everybody falls in love with uma thurman whether it's Matthew Broderick or Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane is constantly out for himself and number one, and he eventually grows to trust Matthew Broderick as a partner, whereas Matthew Broderick is so pure and good and doesn't realize when he's being hoodwinked or if he's being manipulated. So at times they're the best of friends and other times they're sworn enemies. But in a movie like this, when the play is eventually released, not only is it not a disaster, it's an absolute hit, it makes a ton of money. So now they're stuck in the position where they've earned all this money, But they promised investors this sort of thing and that sort of thing and they get in all sorts of trouble. Will Ferrell's character realizes that they were using him and he's out to get them as well. It's just absolute mayhem from start to finish but everybody plays it with this this aside, this black comedy sort of thing. You watch it and you feel like you're at a stage show where at any moment Nathan Lane will reach through the TV and ask you a question or talk to you specifically. There's some great one-liners, some great... Puns, A lot of puns that you're familiar with Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks always does his little puns or his, his, his observation of real life and that sort of thing. There's tons of that in here. The movie stuck with me from the moment I saw it. I got it just because I'm a huge Nathan Lane fan and I just like hearing his voice and hearing him do things. But it is a lot of fun. It's hilarious. Great music. Great dance numbers as well. Absolute fun. Love the producers. Number five. All right, as we move into our top four, and we're making good time, we're making good time. I better not talk about how we're making good time or we'll make bad time. But moving on at number four is what some would consider the greatest musical of all time. And I would too, if I didn't be incredibly biased and like other things, just a little bit more. Number four, The Sound of Music. As I mentioned before, Julie Andrews is great as Mary Poppins. She's even greater in The Sound of Music. Some would say the idealistic musical, the musical that appeals to everyone full of pure, wholesome fun, wholesome goodness, uh, everything that that hits all your emotions, mainly joy, mainly love, but also despair for the bad times and and compassion and fear because the backdrop of The Sound of Music is actually quite horrifying with what's going on. It's never played to a point where you need to be worried or concerned or, or shocked, but the concept itself that behind this wonderful family that have adopted this nun to be their nanny and this romance going on between Julie Andrews and Christopher Walken's Captain Von Trapp. Alongside that is the, the kickoff of, of World War II and the, the incoming Nazi problem that is, is, is coming towards them, that's taking over Poland, that's, that's slowly going to absolutely ruin their lives and upend them for everything. I've just realized as well that three of my top ten musicals have Nazis in them as quite a major part. Uh, That's a little concerning, but don't hold that against me. Let's move on. Sound of Music, I mean, the hills are alive with the Sound of Music. A lot of the songs are just in there just, just to sing along for a bit, but everybody puts in 120%. Christopher Plummer is great. May he rest in peace, having just recently passed. His Von Trapp is, even though he's harsh and cold, he's also lovable, charming. It's not sort of like Mr. Banks where Mr. Banks is a bit... A bit rude and nasty when you first meet him. Captain Von Trapp is nice. He's, he loves his kids and he wants to spend time with them. But it's more that the nun that's been sent to look after them, he doesn't trust, he doesn't quite think is up to the task. Meanwhile, he's also already got a suitor, so he's not really thinking of romantic thoughts at all at that point. Julie Andrews, when she's sent there by the nunnery, because she's too free-spirited. She's running around the hills singing The Hills Are Alive with the Sound of Music when she should be up in the abbey being all godly and praying to God and all of that stuff. So she's essentially sent away for being pure joy and love, which is great. The children are great. Obviously, the Von Trapp kids, they are plentiful, so it's hard to pinpoint exactly who they are. I always forget how many kids are in here except for the main daughter, because of her situation with her boyfriend, and how he gets caught up in the whole Nazi thing, but they're not grating or anything, they're sweet and lovely in their own ways, and Julie Andrews looks after them pleasantly, this is another one, just like Mary Poppins, even with the Nazi thing going on in the background, it's turn off your brain, just enjoy the warmth and love music fun, it's great, it took me ages to watch this film, I should have gone on it a lot longer than I did, but once I did, it secured its spot. It's one of my favorite movies of all time and it's up here in musicals at number four. At number three, our second animated film and one I'm sure most people are familiar with, people often think this is a Disney film. It is not. It is a 20th Century Fox film and it is Anastasia. Anastasia is one of my favorite films ever. I'm currently doing an Instagram thing where I've been posting a movie every day for the past 900 days. Anastasia I posted on day... 10, 9, 10 very first, uh, first run of the mill as soon as I started off I was like Anastasia I've got a post on here as soon as possible it is a romantic film again but with some real dark undertones but also a lovely balance of comedy and the music the songs are powerful both for good and bad, Christopher Lloyd's Rasputin who's out to get Anya or Anastasia who is the last surviving member of the Tsars, the, the royal family of Russia who were horribly butchered in the Russian Revolution. <laughs> he sings this song, In the Dark of the Night, and boy, it's probably the best villain song I think I've ever heard. Even with Hank Azaria's Bartok, the fruit bat, just bouncing alongside him going, Oh, hi ladies, oh no. It's a great song. Then, of course, you've got Anastasia. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know she's a royal tsar, tzir, however you want to say it. She just thinks she's Anya, who was dropped at an orphanage. She was saved by a young boy. And it turns out that young boy she meets later as a con man, Dimitri, he's trying to sell off a fake Anastasia to the Duchess to claim the reward, him and his partner Vlad, voiced by Kelsey Grammer. So they pick up Anya because, oh boy, doesn't she look just like Anastasia? And, of course, on their journey, they sing some songs, they grow as a bond together, and, of course, start to fall in love. The songs are great, as I said, the villain song's great, but also Journey to the Past... St. rumor in st petersburg once upon a december they're all great songs each a different type of music i think there are some that are haunting there are some that are uplifting there are some played for comedic effect but the romance story between anastasia and dimitri is so believable and built on it there's so many movies which have people that can't stand each other and eventually grow to love and appreciate each other this movie does it well it's not the cliche stuff we go oh, okay they eventual connection between the two of them feels earned and wonderful which is great I love Anastasia I, I would rate it higher than a lot of the Disney films that I love it's pure, pure fun, pure magic great songs hard to find Anastasia songs on Spotify which is really annoying sung by the actual people but if I do find them I will be adding them to my playlist as soon as I can great stuff absolutely cemented in at number 3 At number two, now this was hard. Number one and two fought for the position quite a bit. There were many times where this one was number one and the other one was number two. The other one, I think, has just pushed ahead in terms of rewatchability. I think, as of right now, but it could change. So take these two as a grain of salt. Two weeks from now, number two could be number one and number one could be number two. Let's just say right now that our top two ones here are my absolute favorites and they are the best of the best. And number two is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original by Gene Wilder. Let us not talk of the Johnny Depp one that came out in 2005. If we don't speak of it, perhaps it never came out. I know Roald Dahl was famously against this movie. It didn't like it. I know it doesn't follow the book to a T. I know it substitutes a lot of Roald Dahl's wacky, gross-out, intense humour for, I don't know, actual magic and story and warmth and character development. But make of that what you will. But what makes Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory so great, apart from the wonderful songs that are in it, is Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. He's absolutely great. His, his mannerisms, his magic, his mysteriousness as Willy Wonka. I recently learned that apparently uh, the scene where Willy Wonka comes out of the Chocolate Factory and he's, he's hobbling on a cane and he looks old, but then he suddenly does a, a front roll on the ground and jumps up and everything's fine. He's full of beans. It was an idea by Gene Wilder and it was great that he put it in there, so you never really knew what this guy was up about, what was on his mind, what his intentions were for the kids, which works well, I think that's true, uh, combined with uh, the often-talked-about riverboat scene with the with the weird imagery and the strangeness that the movie pivots in for about two minutes. Aside from all that, Gene Wilder is just such a lovely human being, and even when he's trying to be mysterious and off-putting, he's still great, he's still wonderful, I want to give him a hug, essentially again rest in peace gene wilder as well i know he's been dead for a bit but uh, still great talent that's gone too soon obviously if you've read charlie and the chocolate factory you know the plot of this movie which is that the the kids get the five golden tickets and four of the kids are absolute brats for specific reasons charlie bucket he's living in a poor house with his mum and his his four grandparents who can't get out of bed they barely survive on cabbage soup Then for a series of lucky events, he does end up getting a golden ticket, and he and Grandpa Joe, who's suddenly able to walk and is fine now, which is suspicious to say the least, get to go into the factory. They encounter Oompa Loompas and a chocolate stream and all sorts of things, and the kids get picked off one by one due to their vanity and their obsessiveness. But alongside all that is a genuine musical film. There's I've Got a Golden Ticket, which is a really fun, uplifting song. If you want to view Paradise that Willy Wonka sings when they enter the chocolate film, chocolate chocolate room, and even Charlie Bucket's mum's song, which is the most skippable moment in any musical film, but if you like that nice, sweet sort of thing, it's a nice song. It just really derails the forward momentum of the movie. I love it. I've seen it a thousand times. I know exactly what's going to happen to each kid at this point. It's also a great fun comedy film in terms of showcasing what the world was doing to get the golden tickets there's a lot of fun away slapstick one-liner gags involving people building robots to help them find the golden ticket uh, kidnapping husbands and ransom involving golden tickets which is very clever fun stuff which as an adult now i can appreciate a lot more now i understand what the actual point is these people are making it is fun it is light-hearted it is Whimsical, again, in the same vein of The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. I love Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. I love the whole story. This, to me, is a thousand times better than the book itself and a million, billion times better than the Tim Burton film that came out in 2005. And it absolutely is great at number two or number one, depending on what mood I'm in. Before I announce the number one, I'm going to quickly fire off our honourable mentions, the ones that fought for that coveted number 10 spot. You will probably hear them and go, that was better than the Blues Brothers, and that's totally up to you. We've got Across the Universe, which is just basically a love letter to all the Beatles music, which is great. Enchanted, a live-action Disney movie where a Disney princess essentially gets into the real world. Amy Adams is great in it. Grease, Grease hasn't aged particularly well, but I still really like the songs in it. It's a classic in some sense of the word. The Greatest Showman. I used to love The Greatest Showman a lot more, but on rewatches I've noticed a few things about it, which doesn't hold up quite as well, but the songs in Hugh Jackman are fantastic. Into the Woods, great I performed this play when I was in high school in a musical, which is probably why it resonates with me a lot more, but it's a lot of fun and Chris Pine is great in it with the with the fairy tale shenanigans that are going on. La La Land, a love letter to Hollywood and Tinseltown and romance movies with Brian Gosling and Emma Stone being incredible in it. Mary Poppins Returns, Emily Blunt was fantastic taking over the role from Julie Andrews, and even Lin-Manuel Miranda, he's no Dick Van Dyke, but he did okay. It doesn't have the magic quite as much as Mary Poppins, but it's still a great time. Rock of Ages, this is the one that I get into arguments with with other people about whether it's a good musical. Apparently 99% of the people say it's bad musical, whatever, that's up to you. I think I just really like the rock songs that are in the musical, and I think Tom Cruise proved a lot of people wrong, because his Stacey Jacks character is the best part of the movie. Rocket Man, Rocket Man gets on here where Bohemian Rhapsody did not, because it is a musical. Taron Egerton sings a lot of his Elton John songs in restaurants and on planes and in pools, and it was I think Taron Egerton was a perfect Elton John. The Rocky Horror Picture Show, Tim Curry, God bless him. What a weird, strange movie. The it's just it are no words. And The Wizard of Oz, The Wizard of Oz again, a classic, very good stuff. There's some stuff I've learned about The Wizard of Oz that has really hampered my love for the film but it's still sweet. It's still one of those early musicals that showed what you could do with music and colour and film, so it deserves to be an honourable mention. But our final film, our number one or number two, depending on what mood I'm in, is very specifically tailored to me. It is Moulin Rouge, directed by Baz Luhrmann. I fell in love with Moulin Rouge from the moment I saw it. My uncle told me to watch it. He heard that I hadn't seen it. I didn't even know what he was talking about, and he put it on. And from the moment it caught up, I was just hooked and I was pulled in. Now, a lot of people don't like Baz Luhrmann, and that's fine. Baz Luhrmann has a very specific direction style, which can be a bit vibrant and in-your-eyes intensity that you might not be able to cope with, and that's okay. But uh, me so much, it's not the visuals that make it the best movie for me or the best musical. It's the songs and the performances of our lead characters played by Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman, who play this ultimate love story between a young writer and the singer Satine. They're forbidden lovers, essentially. Satine is promised to to the Duke, who is financing the play that these two are putting on together. So they essentially use the play to be closer together and to sing love songs to each other while this piece of shit person uh, is sitting right in front of them and doesn't know what's going on. The intensity of it, there's a lot of played over-the-top dramatic stuff, romantic stuff. It's very choreographed early on where this movie is going to go and where our characters are going to end up, and some would say, okay, yeah, cool. That detracts from it, but the intensity of, especially you and McGregor when he sings "Come What May" has resonated with me for years. It is a fun assortment of side characters, well, with Jim Broadbent and John Leguizamo. The show they take on a bunch of songs from very famous, well-known artists like Queen, and it's it's just pure love for romance, if you love the idea of romance, the idyllic romance, if you believe in love and power and all of that, then you're going to get a lot out of this. This movie has resonated with me in many ways to a point where it's I cannot cannot really describe the sort of joyous, uplifting hopefulness that I get watching it, even though the story itself is quite bleak and dark at times. And Ewan McGregor has that performance, that over-the-top song, that gives me shivers gives me gives me the tingles and when he is performing with Nicole Kidman especially for their big final musical number along with even some isolated stuff in there there's a performance for Roxanne it's just powerful intense great stuff this is what I think of when I think of a musical when I think what's a good musical Moulin Rouge always pops to my head Straight away, the rewatchability gets better every single time. There's a lot of comedy in here as well, besides the drama and the dark and the romance. I think there's something in here for everybody, even the Baz Luhrmann stuff. I think you can look past it. It's not as tense as some of his other movies, that's for sure. Moulin Rouge holds a special place in my heart. As soon as I said I want to do a top ten musicals, I was like, okay, Moulin Rouge and Willy Wonka, and then I don't know. I'll have to think what else I like. But for now, Moulin Rouge has taken the spot at number one. And there we are, we're going to wrap it up while we're sort of under time, but not really. I hope you've enjoyed our top 10. It's been a while since I've done one on a specific topic. I know I did our top 20 recently, but it's good to be back in here and focusing on a majority of films, rankings fun. I'm sure you've enjoyed listening because you've listened up until this point. But again, I hope I haven't annoyed anybody. I hope I haven't offended anybody, though I'm sure I've had... I'll ask you now, go and have a think. What are your top 10 movie musicals? Share them with me if you like, or share them with yourself, however you want to do it. Either way, thank you for listening to me. I have enjoyed reminiscing. I have enjoyed remembering songs. I have enjoyed remembering the feelings I get from watching musicals. It's been an absolute blast. And I thank you all because you are all the reason that I did it. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go rest my voice because it's it's about, it's going to die. It's going to die. But love and appreciate you as always. I'll see you next time. You've been spliced in later. Adios, muchachos. I'll catch you next time.